everyone, and welcome to the Malthouse Games Podcast, episode number 86. My name is Delton, I'll be your host today, and with me, as usual, is my lovely wife and yellow player, Haley. Howdy, partners. We are here without internet. But we have beer. We do have beer, thank freaking goodness. I'm going to go ahead and crack one while we're talking. Uh, we, yeah, we've been out of internet. We had a huge snowstorm, as I, most of the country has, really. Really, uh, Texas and Oklahoma have been the biggest hit, and we did not get as slammed as Texas did. It's, Texas is very sad how bad yes. it's hit them. It's been just, it's disgusting how bad the situation is. And luckily here in Oklahoma, I guess I shouldn't say luckily, but it's, it's not been as terrible. It has to do with a lot of different factors. Privatized but, uh, power grids. And a place that should never have to prepare for this type of weather than having this type of weather. You know what I mean? But thanks to global warming in this dissertation, I will. <laughs> exactly. The unraveling of the polar vortex, y'all. It's it's very sad, but uh, Oklahoma's, I think, for the most part, okay. Uh, we don't have internet. There were some people, like a lot of people around, had busted water pipes. That's our new state motto. Oklahoma is, for the most part, okay. For the most part, okay. <laughs> you don't want to keep the one that we have now? Imagine that. Imagine that. Just the shittiest motto with well, a logo change, wasted our, money. That's like our marketing lo- our marketing motto. Like our real yeah. motto is labor conquers all things, which is about as capitalist as you can get. That's true. It's very true. Anyway, but, we had a snowpocalypse this week. We did. It was it was bad. Uh I had, was supposed to be working from home. However, or no, I'm sorry, I was supposed to be working in the office. However, uh, I had to work from home a lot and then drive to the office for partial days because some physical stuff has to be done every day, and we needed somebody, and I was the only person in my group. Uh, I have a Subaru, so I have all-wheel drive, and I'm the only one comfortable enough to go out and drive in, you know, six inches of snow when it's cold because, you know, it's not something we're used to here, but I knew I'd be fine, and it was. It was fine. It took me 30 minutes to drive six miles. Mm-hmm. which is crazy, but I was also going slow and being safe, which and is doing, why I was okay. Doing rescue missions as well. Helping people push their cars when they couldn't get going. But We've determined there are two types of truck drivers in Oklahoma. Yep. Whenever it snows, there are the assholes who drive about 90 miles per hour dangerously and vigorously. And there are the bubbas. And the bubbas, they seem to drive around with the intent of helping people get out of ditches. Because Delton yep. saw a Camry on the side of the road pulled over immediately one truck behind us puts his flashers on and parks behind us the other one parks next to us in traffic with their flashers on and as soon as delton pushes the car back onto the roadway both of them like tip their hats to us and drive off like that's a bubba right there oh yeah you get people like that and it it's always nice synchronized to see. man i know it it was like they practiced this they were ready and they're the people in trucks that aren't driving like lunatics. Yes, they are the Bubbas. Yeah. God bless the Bubbas. I know it. Cthulhu bless the Bubbas. But we did have this crazy winter storm. Everything's been crazy, but uh, we are currently out of internet. That is as of this moment. And I think it's warming up. We're going to get some potential cold and weather next week, but nothing like we did. Uh, so I think we're at, in the clear. But we are out of internet. So if you're listening to this podcast, I have found a way to upload. Uh, I'm probably going to drive to a coffee shop, hook up to their Wi-Fi, and get it done in the morning on uh, the the day this releases. For you. For you. Sweet listeners. It's going to be a process because if I do that, I have to take Haley's laptop because I have no laptop. But that also means uh, I'm probably not going to update the website until our internet's back up. And like our podcast ad that I make. I'll probably make it, 
but to post it, I'm going to have to put it on my Google Drive and upload it from my phone. I guess I could upload the podcast from my phone, but our data is going so slow because we've used so much. We're basically just problem solving out loud right now, so please excuse we us. We are problem solving <laughs> out loud, but yes, that's our problem right now is no freaking internet. Also, if you want to hear this fun stuff, uh, the dryer belt went out again on our clothes dryer. And we went to Lowe's and I bought a new one, just a generic one. Normally I buy like the specific part, but the one from Lowe's matched the identical specifications. We got home and it was too small. Someone put the wrong one in the right package. So we went back, got the correct one, put it on. And for some reason, the motor just won't grab it. I can't figure out why. So we bought a new washer and dryer from the return section of Lowe's. Get this, like, you can tell that the Lowe's employees were trying to be as, I don't know, PC or polite as possible. Yeah. But basically, they're like, there are certain people in Edmond from a certain demographic. <clears throat> rich white ladies. Yeah, rich white ladies. <laughs> rich white ladies who will buy washer and dryer sets to get them in, and they will be the wrong color, and they will return them. And whenever they do that, Lowe's has to sell them 50% off. And they say in Edmond, Edmond, uh, the North Edmond store where we bought ours from is one of the busiest ones. So North Edmond is where a lot of the more wealthier houses are, the more affluent people live. And like Edmund's uh, average income is like $250,000 a year. So like it's, it's pretty, it's pretty and good. And it's because of all those people that have moved up this way to get yeah. out of the major parts of the city. But they said they get like six sets in a week where they have to mark them half price. So basically we spent 1200 bucks on $2,400 worth of washer and dryer. 2200 new. We spent 20, we spent 12 because taxes, we spent 11 on it. But I'm so happy with it. I have done, I think, five loads of laundry today. Clothes, towels, blankets, sheets. Haven't folded them. Haven't folded them. I've washed them and dried them, though. The first load we did in the washer was white sheets with some bleach and soap. That way it kind of ran some bleach through the system. Oh, my goodness. I, I have forgotten how nice it is to have new appliances because the washer and dryer we had, they were great. Fantastic. I would recommend them if you needed a washer and dryer that were cheap. I mean, my parents bought them on sale for me when I was... A wee baby uh, 21 year old. It was my, let me see, 10 to 11, 11. It was my 11 to 12 year going into my 12 to 13 year of college. And I needed a washer and dryer in the new apartment because the old one had a hookup, but they had a laundromat. So I just used a laundromat. The new apartment didn't have a laundromat and I needed something. And they bought them for like 600 bucks for the pair on a super sale in a small, you know, store. They basically had dry and off that's basically how simple these machines are and they worked so good for so long and delton's been able to take them apart and like fix them like yeah. he's a as the lowe's repairman said delton's a dying breed he can take stuff apart and fix it but you know what we decided to treat ourselves because yeah. we're almost 30 this year we're going to turn 30 we bought ourselves a we new washer and dryer by treat, god we decided to treat ourselves <laughs> before we finished our taxes and realized we had to pay so <laughs> but- <laughs> Everything's fine. So this is why we're drinking beer this episode. Delton, what do we have? All right. So the first beer of this episode is from our friendly Frenzy Brewing Co., which I've talked about and had on before. This is their Cream Weaver, which is a cream ale. 4.9% alcohol by volume in a 12-ounce can. Uh, No descriptors. So there we go. Which we did learn that a cream ale is not made with cream or dairy. It is actually cold fermented. And so it gets kind of like this cloudy looking color that is beautiful. Yes, it is. It's a very like very light yellow. It looks like limoncello. No, like the. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it's uh, it's nice and cloudy. Ooh, it has a nice smell to it. 
There's something there. Vanilla frosting is what it smells like. I can see the vanilla. Vanilla buttercream frosting. It smells nice. It smells light. It smells like there's a hint of that sourness on a lemon cake. Almost, almost the the almost that hint of sour you get from uh, like a Belgian beer that's not quite a wheat, but there's enough of something in there that gives it a little bit of that tang. But definitely, like it's a tangy vanilla. Very, very clean mouthfeel. Mm. Not a lot of carbonation, even on the back. Wow. It's crisp. It's not thick, but being that there's lower carbonation, it's very smooth. And the aftertaste is like a vanilla frosting. Like you have that sweet, smooth vanilla flavor. Like at, at first, it's it's crisp and then bubbly on the back of the tongue and then like a smooth vanilla aftertaste. The bubbly is so minor to me on this one. It is. It's very minor. Hmm, that's really solid, though. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've liked all the stuff Frenzy's done so far. They've all been good. But that's Frenzy Brewing Co.'s Cream Weaver Cream Ale. I like that. I'm glad we, yeah, I'm glad I picked, or we picked that, you picked that. Whenever the hell it got in our house, I'm glad we got it. So the last thing before we move into talking about the game this episode, uh, we have been rediscovering. So there's a, there's an old documentary from 2005 called, I think it was just called Metal, A Headbanger's Journey. Yep. And it's this guy with a master's degree in anthropology, anthropology, who kind of does a, a short, you know, hour, hour 15 documentary about metal music and the origins of metal and the different phases of metal. And it's always been really interesting to me. Well, he did it. They actually did a TV show in like 2010 called Metal Evolution. And there's 11 episodes starting with pre-metal, just the earliest stages of where metal came from. And then it ends with my favorite, which is progressive metal. It starts with my favorite and ends with your favorite. Basically, yes. And so we are just uh, watching that now because I love metal music and Haley likes some old classic rock and early metal influences as well as some earlier metal bands. And so it's been really fun, though. I think it's something worth looking into. I think it's very interesting. The old documentary is definitely now dated, I feel, even though it's still very interesting. I feel like there's so many more voices that could have been tapped, but at the same time, uh, there wasn't much of a budget, I don't think, for it. And it's, you know, it was small. The second one, I think they put out on VH1. You can tell it's produced. You can tell it's much better produced. Uh, I mean, it's also years later, but it's on YouTube. You can find it if it sounds interesting to you, but I recommend that. Yeah, the first episode talks about like the origins of metal. So it talks about uh, blues, jazz, and then going into, you know, those at Sun Records, early rock. The um, first like distortion on guitar. Yes. And so basically what I've determined, if it was 1967, based on my music taste, I would be a badass. Like you really a would. badass. You'd be very cool. Bless the kinks, mom. Meh, meh. Meh, 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 meh. And then yes. my mother would be praying for me. And I'd be like, this speaks to my soul, my generation. Woo. <laughs> you get it. It's fine. Yeah. <laughs> well, I think with all that being said, let's move to the game. I forgot we had a game this episode. I was like, what are we talking about? <laughs> let's just go into our taxes some more. <laughs> oh, here's the door. <sighs> it's straight ahead. It's, it's a game. All right, so the game for this episode is called The Crew, and it's actually got a, I didn't even pull it up, there's like a colon, Quest for Planet Nine, something like that. I'll get to it in a minute, and here's the reason I'll get to it in a minute. We do not own this game. We have not played this game, nor touched this game physically. This has been a digital experience that we wanted to bring up because I think it was last episode, maybe the episode before, that we talked about ways to play games online with friends. 
that's exactly what we did. Our friends, Jennifer and Nick, hit us up and said, hey, you guys want to play games? And we said, we like games. You like games. Let's play games. And so they said, let's play The Crew. And I said, okay, that sounds fun. And then we did. And so I wanted to talk about that game because we had a blast with it. Absolutely. A blast off. Space game. I thought that was worth it. Anyway, (laughs) (laughs) The Crew is designed by Thomas Singh, illustrated by Marco Armbruster. Graphics is by Sensit Communication. Editing is Killian Vosa and Wolfgang Lutke. So I'm going to pronounce it. English editing edition is Ed, Ed Garten. I almost said Egg. It's Egg Garten. Ed Garten, Tom Wetzel, and Ted McGuire. It is published through Thames and Cosmos. And let me find here the full title of the game so I'm not a complete noob here. The Crew, The Quest for Planet Nine. So I wasn't too far off. The Crew is a cooperative trick-taking game. Now, if any of you are familiar with trick-taking games, the idea of a cooperative trick-taking game uh, is probably immediately intriguing. So a trick-taking game, for those who do not know, is essentially a type of game where everybody has a hand of cards. You're all going to play one card. The person who leads has the leading suit. So if they play, let's say, let's go with normal card terms for this. If you play a nine of hearts, everyone around the table plays a heart if they have it. If they don't, they play anything else. Uh, Whoever plays the highest value of hearts wins that hand, and you take it. That hand is called a trick. That's a trick-taking game in its most basic, basic element. There's all kinds of, uh, like, adaptations and rules changes and variations and euchre and rook and hearts and spades and briscola that we played with Kyle that he gave us a deck of. It's that box that's playing cards. Yeah, and then I was looking for a hero. Uh, what's it called? Oh, yes. Um, uh, custom Heroes. Custom Heroes from AEG. That was like probably the first one I owned, I think. Yeah. That is a trick-taking game. It's been around forever. Super, super, super long time those kind of games have been around. So the crew uses that mechanic in a very interesting way. So in the crew, there are 50 different, uh, essentially missions, kind of like scenarios, right? So everyone gets their cards dealt out. By the way, this game plays two to four. I have heard two is not good or not very good, but I've heard three and four both work perfectly fine. Four is what we played it at. So this is one of those few experiences on the podcast where we have not played a game two player. At least not in the pandemic year. And not a game that can be played two player. Because generally, if it can be, we have. Yes. For the most part. But anyway, so the way the crew works, everyone gets dealt their hand of cards like normal. And someone gets designated as the person to lead off the initial hand. And you can just play a hand, your cards are gone, boom, you're good. Well, then those missions start to add in different specifications and requirements for you to succeed. My favorite one has been the ordered numbers. It's so it's so difficult. Excuse my burp there. <laughs> Please keep that in. I'm going to keep it just because I think it's funny. Because it was an <laughs> impromptu burp in the middle of talking. It is so difficult with these numbers. What it is, everyone has their hands of cards. You're getting ready to play. Then you will reveal these little tiles that give you a a color and a number, which corresponds essentially to the suit. The suits in this game are colors. Pinks, blues, yellows, greens, uh, rather than like hearts, spades, clubs, diamonds. And so you'll get a card that says, okay, three of pink. You're like, cool, you take that. What that means is, you have to win the hand containing the pink three to succeed your piece of the mission. And if everyone succeeds in getting their numbers, you can move on to the next mission. 
Some of them, one person has a single mission, that's it. One of them, everyone had a mission, and they could be done in any order. Sometimes one or two of them are in an order, the rest don't matter. Sometimes all of them are in order. We had one that, was it three of them had to go in the order? Yes, and we failed. It was very difficult. (laughs) We made it the second time we tried. We got to mission number 10, and we've played several of those missions over and over again, like a couple times at least. So uh, it was so interesting, though, because trick-taking, I don't want to talk too much about it because the topic this uh, episode. Spoiler alert. But trick-taking is one of my least favorite styles of game. It just is. However, this game uses it in such a way, being that it's cooperative, being that you have missions, you have to think about it. I feel like it branches out and does something unique with that mechanic and style of play. One thing that I'm leaving out that I need to specify is you get to communicate something to the other players, but that's it. You can lay one card down. Correct. And you can put your little token up top saying this is your highest one in this suit. On the bottom, indicating it's your lowest, or in the middle, indicating it's your only one. And that, for each hand, is the only piece of communication you can give for what cards you have. And that makes a lot of this game work again, is that you can't just show your hand, of course. And I feel like that's an obvious thing. However, I'm glad they specify. But having that piece of communication changes things so much, because one of the things I liked the most is when we would all get something. Let's say the mission says, I have to win the yellow seven. And Nick plays the yellow seven and puts, that's his only one. It's like, cool, perfect. But then Haley puts down the yellow two and says, this is the lowest of her yellows. I'm like, well, shit, well, does it go higher than the seven? If I have the six in hand and Nick has the seven, I can't win that if we all played yellow. And the problem is being a trick-taking game, if I play a yellow starting off the hand, everyone has to play a yellow if they have it. So if Nick's only yellow is the seven, I have to win. Nobody can play a yellow until it is 100% necessary or 100% capable. Now, what is the term? If it's 100% going to happen that I win it. Certain. Thank you. Jesus Christ. (laughs) Put that in your definition book. I need to. If it's 100% certain that I will win it, then it's okay. But something else to consider in the way this game works, being cooperative, if Nick has that yellow seven and I need it, we can exhaust uh, another color like blue. Everyone play all their blue cards except for a couple people. I could play like the nine. I think nine was the highest value card. They go one to to nine. I could play the nine blue. And if Nick has no blue, he can dump that yellow seven into that hand because you can play anything if you don't have a matching color. Everyone else can play whatever they've got. And now I still win that yellow seven. So it takes this weird group think without much communication, but there's just enough to give you hints of ideas of how you can proceed. And you know, we talked about strategy here and there, and I felt like we just had a good time enjoying it and didn't try to take it overly seriously. Mm-hmm. However, it was just a blast. It was. Like, it has the communication side. It has the process of elimination. It has the teamwork. It has the problem solving. It has the, you know, keeping these orders in your head. And it's it's really enjoyable game. You know, we sat down to play, and I think it took us, first round, I completely bombed because I just did not... Yeah. get what I was supposed to do. But after that, I feel like we had a pretty smooth time. Of course, you know, some of the rounds are challenging. We had to try them over again, but it clicked after the first round. It was a really enjoyable experience. And again, you know, we've never seen this in person, or at least I haven't. We've never played it in person. It's only been online, but it was easy and it was super fun, especially with our friends. Part of the reason I think it worked so well is it was a tabletop simulator that was scripted. Mm-hmm. So you hit 
you know, mission number one, four players start the game. It automatically deals cards, puts tokens where they need to go. It helps you manage that kind of stuff almost as if it was a pre-built app or something. And that really helped make the experience, I think, uh, more streamlined, a little faster and easier to get because then we're not worrying about all these little extra things here and there. And uh, pretty much Nick and Jennifer handled all the detailed stuff of setting it up. So that was very, very helpful for us. But that's the thing. I don't know. It was just one of those games that it's a small game. It's $15, I think, brand new. It won the Spiel des Jahres. I don't know if it won the normal one or the Kenner Spiel. I think just a general spiel. I think just a general spiel. And it's simple. It's easy to play. You can sit down and play it with anybody. And even though it's complicated to win, it's simple enough anybody could sit down and get it. And it, you know, I guess it depends on how much that, like if that person enjoys these kinds of challenges. It reminded me a lot of Phase 10. Except you're working together. You're working together. Like that, sorry, that just like popped in my head. Like it reminds me a lot of Phase 10 because the the rules change with every single round. You know, you're you're having to uh, keep track of the different suits and the different numbers. It's just like a really cooperative version of Phase 10. It's, it's basically what it is. Cooperative and a little more complicated, that is. And space-themed, not numbers-themed. That's true. It is space-themed. <laughs> but yes, it's a, just a very neat game. I think one of the other things I want to say before we move past it is this is one of those cooperative games that people cannot quarterback. Yes. That I don't, I mean, you could be that person and you could like, I mean, obviously we talked about like, oh, so we probably need to figure out how to do this, don't we? And like, we agreed with the strategy of how yeah. we're approaching the hand. And especially at the beginning, the first few rounds, like Nick was really good about saying, oh, so we can sell by that, that Delton has no blue in his hand. And so. Yeah, it helps us kind of keep track. Yeah, it helped us keep track, especially whenever we were just learning the game. But like Delton said, it's really difficult or really impossible for someone to be like, you should play this. Because they, they don't know. They can't see your hand. They don't know what the other players have. Yeah, there's so many factors in play. But it's really neat. And there's all kinds of other rules in the game, too. Like I said, there's certain numbers you have to win, certain numbers you have to win, then it has to be in a certain order. Uh, one of them was somebody can't win any of the hands. And there's all, all kinds of things like that. I guess the last thing I'll say, uh, trick-taking games have trump cards. In this one, they're rockets. A rocket will beat anything except for a higher-value rocket. So it's kind of its own suit, but you can only play it by itself or when you have none of that suit that's being played that started. So yeah, there you go. I think that pretty much explains the crew. We really, really enjoyed it. I enjoyed playing it through Tabletop Simulator. Uh, it's just, it's a simple enough game that everyone can jump in and play, but it's fun, it's cooperative, it's challenging. And to me, it takes what trick-taking games do and m truly makes it fun. Yes. So, Delton, before we get into why you really hate trick-taking games, let's have us another beer that is on theme, on brand, and on our minds. The second beer for this episode, after a long pause I'm going to cut out that y'all can't hear, is from Big Sky Brewing Co. from Montana, USA. I love that that's how they put it on the can. This is Space Goat Pale Ale, and there's a picture of a goat with his horns, and he's in a spacesuit. And it says, make water fun. Where do you see that? On the back of the can. We make water fun. We make water fun. All right. <laughs> <laughs> they ain't wrong. It is 5% alcohol by volume in a 12-fluid-ounce can. There are no flavored descriptors, so we're going to move past it. However, I love this freaking goat in this costume. Uh, his little gloves are around his... Uh, 
I can't think of what they're called. Hooves. Hooves. And then he's got a gun on his hip. And then on his badge on the side of his arm has like a cow skull or a curved horn skull. And it's 3-7-77. I wonder what the significant is. I'm going to say it's their area code. Significance. 3777? Oh. <laughs> I thought it said 377. I'm sorry. 3-7-77. I don't know. I don't either, but it's a really cool can. I'm excited for the picture of that. Oh, God. Oh, God. Oh, God. Red alert. The beer is overflowing. I, I repeat, the beer is overflowing. Jesus. I, I started the pour to just stop it, and uh, my pour is nothing but foam right now. Let's, it's almost uh, impressive. In the words of Andy Bernard, beer me. All right. So this beer stole all the carbonation from our last beer. It seriously did. Look at that beer. It's all head. Oh, my God. By the way, one of my favorite things since you're referencing The Office and Andy and his beer me is when he says, like, beer me that CD. Yeah. And, and you're like, okay. Beer me, excuse me? Will you, will you hand me your, my water? Yeah, beer me, beer me that water, will you? Delton has poked his finger in the foam and is making little swirlies. Trying to get it to go away. I mean, it's working. I don't know how efficient, but it's working. Do, 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 do. We're halfway there. Okay, we're good. We got enough foam down that I can drink from it now. Yeah. Without getting a face full of foam. All right, so what kind of beer is this again? That's the name of your metal band, Face Full of Foam. Face Full of Foam. (laughs) This is a Big Sky beer. You're lame. No, what kind of pale ale? Pale ale. Trying to kill time. I must be somebody's (laughs) birthday, 3777. Maybe so. Uh, So it's pretty hazy. You can't see through it. It has a very thick yellow color versus the last one. So this is, it's a very... Was it, was that, is that a good descriptor, a thick yellow? Yeah. I thought so. It looks like a, a one of those honey cough drops or like a Werther's candy yellow. Nailed it. I'm just going to say from having watched an eight and a half hour masterclass series by Colonel Chris Hadfield, that this space goat would totally be dead if you were wearing this outfit. He's a goat, so. Like his horns are totally poking and, out of the helmet. I mean, he's an anthropomorphized goat. He's got weird shaped arms and limbs. That suit is way too squished up against his body. It's supposed to have room so that way he can be pressurized. Yeah. In case your Soyuz explodes or loses pressure or some shit. So this goat would be toast. Not a space goat. A toast goat. So the beer smells good. It smells like a pale ale. It has that gentle hop profile. It does. It's a little on the hoppy side smelling for a pale ale. It is. It's not that citra bitterness, though. Like, it's a nice gentle hop. Kind of floral. You can taste the carbonation in the front and middle. It tones down, I feel like, on the back. It's a little thick. Almost the way it spreads, it almost leaves a little behind on your tongue. You know what I mean? Hmm. Almost like a, I almost want to say banana-y flavor. But that's not it. It's a flavor I can't I can't quite describe. I'm really bad with flavors. See, it's almost herbal to me. Well, that's what I said. Like the hops smell kind of florally. Yeah. And that, that is kind of the taste too. It is like a it's almost like a really light herbal tea esque element in there. You ever like this might sound strange, but you know those like yellow dandelions, the ones that like bust through concrete? The little bitty yellow flowers you can eat? Yeah. Yeah, they're sweet. That's what it tastes like. (laughs) Nobody's going to believe us. They're going (laughs) to think we're goddamn lunatics. So there's these little flowers that grow in fields in Oklahoma. 
And they're, they're the ones that bust through concrete, man. They can grow anywhere. They're little bitty and yellow flowers, little bitty bitty. But if you pick on them and you eat them, because they're, I mean, they're plants, they... No, you're talking about Sheepshire. The little yellow flowers with the little yeah. clover-looking things? Yeah. I'm talking about, like, the yellow weeds, oh, weed flowers. Oh, no, I'm not talking about that. I don't eat those. Not even once? Nope, not even once. Well, that's what this tastes like. Okay. From the one time five-year-old Haley decided to experiment. But, yeah, I, I can I can pick up some Sheepshire in this as the, well. The Sheepshire, I guess that's what it's called. They're these little yellow flowers you can eat, and they're super sweet on the inside, and they're so good. Yeah, I mean, don't don't trust us when we say what you can eat and can't eat. I mean, we haven't died. We would have to show you in person. Don't yes. just go out and be like, yellow flower, eat it, yay. Like, I can show you how to make, like, aspirin from plants, but I'm not going to describe it on here because I don't know my trees. I can just look at them like, that's an aspirin plant. But yes, this does have that, like, I'm eating a nice flowery. Yeah. That little bit of floral, a little bit of sweetness. I feel like this is a lot going for one <laughs> beer. They're like, excuse me? Yeah, so next time you see some flowers busting out of the concrete, just take a bite and no. you'll have this beer. No, you're not a goat. Space, <laughs> space goat. Maybe that's where they get the name from. They're like, you know what? Goats would eat this flower. They would. Let's make a beer in honor of the goats. Well, I like Space Goat Pale Ale. That's pretty good. To I'm, the goats! Big Sky has always done uh, some pretty decent drinks, in my opinion. I don't know the last Big Sky that we had. I have to put it on the spreadsheet still. If we've even had one on the podcast before. I try to stay with local so much. Mm-hmm. Even though we branch out a lot, I feel like I try to come back to local. Home. Back home. Oklahoma. Oh, because Oklahoma is mostly okay. Mostly okay. <laughs> so the topic for today, I feel like we've been in the topic section now for an hour. In our defense, like every day has looked the same for like the last 10 days because we've been snowed in. Yeah. And there's no boundary between, I mean, there's no boundary between like work and home and the age of coronavirus anyway and being snowed in. You're like not leaving your house for forever. You're just like, ah, time is a myth. Time's not linear. It's just the man that tells you so. So we're just going to apply that logic to this podcast and say that we've stayed on track this whole time. I'm down with that. Okay, so the topic <laughs> daylight episode, Delty. Hey, what can I get you? I'd like a topic. Any special way? Make it a top shelf topic. Coming up. Enjoy. The topic today is just simply to talk a little bit about trick-taking games. So I know I gave a descriptor of what a trick-taking game is when I started talking about the crew, but... For the life of me, I can't find a single solid, if like real and cited reference as to where the hell the term trick came from for trick taking games. Because the, the hands you win, everybody plays a card and somebody wins that hand, they call it a trick. You take the trick, you win the trick, you win the hand. Why is it called a trick? I have my hypothesis and we will get to that. We will get to that. But. It makes no sense. Can't find anything. But apparently, trick-taking games have been around forever and ever and ever. Uh, I guess there is the very early version from... I guess there's somebody in England who is like a card game and board game history person. He was born in 1939. Uh, He says that the original card games were basically from China, which is, I mean, China invented paper, so that makes sense. And they traveled through the Middle East and, you know, Eastern Asia uh over into i think spain was one of the first ones uh so i think it came through that direction spread out into europe whatever and we had card games and one of the first earliest versions was in germany and i can't remember if it was the 1400s or the 1600s one of those two but trick taking games have been around a long time 
The technical term is a long-ass time ago. Long-ass time ago, we've had trick-taking games. <laughs> They're a version of game, like I said, they are generally, I consider, one of, one of my two least favorite style of game or style of, I don't want to say mechanic, because the crew, the crew feels like it uses the trick-taking mechanic. It's not a trick-taking game. Does that make sense? The yes. cooperative nature of it takes over the full like game style. Yes, because no one person is taking the set of cards. Yeah, it's like you, you do to win, but yeah, it's not you doing it and then saying, look at me, I won the most, or look at me, I get the most points or something. I, so I feel like it uses it more as a mechanic, more as a, a, a way for the players to cooperate versus a true trick-taking game, which is just, this is all the game is, is I'm trying to win the most things. So I feel like there's a bit of a separation there. But my two least favorite styles of games, I know we, we try not to get negative a lot on this podcast. We try to say positive because it's more fun to talk about positive things. However, we're going to talk a little bit about negative things. For you. For me. My le two least favorite styles of games, trick-taking, dungeon crawling. Don't get me wrong. Dungeon crawl video games? RPGs, awesome. Dungeon Crawl board games, I've always played them. I've always had fun with them. Obviously, I have fun with all the games I play with people I play with. But I don't think I own... I own the original Mansions of Madness, which you could consider probably a Dungeon Crawl game. But that's pretty much it. Let the record show that Delton did not say that he hated charades games. Charades games? Yes. Oh, no, I won't do that either. <laughs> that's a different story, though. But... Trick-taking games, uh, there, there's something about them I just don't enjoy. And I think, I don't know if part of it comes from the simplicity, which is possible. You know, it's you have a hand of cards, you're playing a card. Uh, the one that I liked first was Custom Heroes. And I liked it because you're modifying those cards to have a ridiculous one. Your 10 is now a 15. No one else has a 15. Somebody has a, a negative 2, something stupid. You know, like, they're all over the place with these different abilities and stuff. And I just found that to be interesting and fun. But it wasn't the style of game, it was the rest of it that I liked. Uh, so that happens a lot. But trick-taking games are one that's just been around so long and people love them because they're a sit-around-the-table-and-chat game. To me, that's what they are. When we play Briscola with Kyle, it's not the game itself that I find to be super intriguing. It's the fact that we're all playing together and laughing and having a good time. So I feel like, I mean, obviously that's the key to enjoying anything, especially if you're not a big fan of it, but that's how I approach this. But uh, like I said, the crew does it differently in my brain. See, and I approach trick-taking games like the complete opposite. Mm -hmm. Because for me, whenever I play a trick-taking game, something like Custom Heroes or like the crew, I am, you know, I can engage with other people at the table. Of course, you know, we can play and joke and have a good time. But the whole time I'm thinking three or four moves in advance because I'm it was when it comes to something like custom heroes, not only do you have to watch what everybody else is playing down, you have to keep tabs on your own hand. You have to press your luck that you're going to play your your high cards. You're going to use those extra resources at a time when maybe Delton is out, or you have to watch for the strategies for your other player you're playing against. You know, okay, they're using all of theirs way up front. If I wait, you know, two or three hands in then I'll be able to play this without being opposed. Like, I, I see trick-taking games as a lot more in-depth, I think. I understand what you're saying. And that, that's, that style or that process of thinking and thought, to me, that's what makes the crew work, where other trick-taking games, it doesn't work for me. 
they both have that thing. They both have that exact thing of, I have to know when to play this card. I have to think about this. Notice what my opponents are doing. But in the crew, you're doing it because you're all trying to achieve this goal. I'm not just trying to outsmart people. Mm -hmm. For some reason, it flips a different switch in my brain, and I have much more fun approaching it that approaching it from that direction in the crew. That makes sense. When, like, we've played, uh, I mean, we've played a bunch of them, and like I said, I always have fun. Like, we played a prototype, which does something very different than the crew or any normal trick-taking game. And that was interesting. That was really neat. It's one of those things, though, you know, with that one, I like having to think about those things. But I think, it for me, it's hard to think about those and kind of figure it out and maybe I just don't enjoy it. Like it's but it's just something with that style of game. I just, you know, I enjoy that where you're like, haha, I tricked you into doing this. I made you spend all these good cards so I could win this hand. I, I think for me it doesn't feel rewarding. Maybe. I don't know why. I don't know why. There's something in there. There's something in my brain that just says, you're doo-doo, get out. And that's I'm like, okay, I'm doo-doo. And that's basically <laughs> it. For trick-taking games. I don't know. I just don't enjoy them that much. But a lot of people really, really, really like trick-taking games. I mean, Fox in the Forest, I played the two-player demo at Gen Con 2017, or Gen Con 50, I guess it was. And I was like, oh, that's neat. That that was my whole thought process. I was like, I'm not going to buy that because I don't want to play that style of game. I don't know why it doesn't interest me. There's something to it, though. I think for me, it's the combination between the the pressure look and the long-term planning and the the watching the other players, I think it, it just they just keep me engaged. Yeah. And so I find with that's why I love custom heroes because we we demoed it at Gen Con fifty. Yep. And Elton was like, oh, this is fine, and I freaking loved it. And that was I think the the first game that I actually bought or that I said we need to dedicate money to buying at Gen Con fifty. Maybe so. Um, because I just I just loved it, and so for those because I just it's simple, and yes, you can take these games and just play them at the table with your family and have drinks and not really be invested in them or you can be really invested in them and you can watch the other players and you can approach it from like a pressure luck um bide your time type of perspective yeah. and I, I think you can make it as engaging as you want and you can make it um the least engaging as possible too like you can choose your level of engagement in the game and the game still functions like you could be totally invested in planning part of this game and I could be completely aloof and the game's still going to go. Yeah. And that makes sense. I understand that. I don't know. I guess different strokes for different folks. Hey, Hey, I think I'm going to name this topic section, our thoughts on trick taking or thoughts on trick taking. Because I was ex originally going to be like, we're going to talk about trick taking as a thing, but I feel like it's more just become how we, what we think about it. Cause we kind of talked about trick taking in the, game portion a little bit yeah it's just one of those things it's tough you know to figure out i don't know it's a topic we're here Woo! games so i think that that's everything with the topic anything else about trick-taking games where the hell this trick come from and now join us for a malt house games podcast special bite-sized question so the question for this episode, as Haley basically just asked, where do we think the term trick from trick-taking games comes from? Would you like to go first? I would like you to go first, because I forgot my answer. Okay. So, from the, the limited knowledge that I have about the origins of the word trick, 
I am going to say that a trick is a girl in a polka dot bikini down in Miami. Because based Hate off so much. <laughs> based off of the one... scripture of LMFAO, <laughs> I'm one... in Miami trick, and a trick <laughs> is a female, and they also sing about you look kind of cute in that polka dot bikini girl. And so oh. I think that, that whenever you're taking the trick, you are taking the girl. It's just like a end of an eighties movie of a John Cusack film. You get the girl, you get the trick. That is the origins of trick. I it's- have one Haley for sale. One dollar U.S. You can have her. I'll ship her for free. I'm losing money in this deal, y'all. It's worth it. One Haley for sale. I do. You have a better a better explanation of what a trick might be. I do. I remembered my answer, which probably takes away the fun of the answer. Uh, They call it a trick taking game because it tricks you into thinking that you're going to have a good time. Boo. <laughs> I thought of that earlier and I was like, oh, this is great. See, and then I said it out loud and it's fine. Ah, uh, it's pretty good. It's fine. It's pretty good. But like I said, I like the crew a lot. Like the crew is a game I will buy and I will be like, hey, we should play this. We have four people. Hey, we should play this. We have three people. Hey, we should, because it's a great game. But all the other trick taking games, for the most part, if I don't already own it, good luck. Can I make a confession? Sure. I thought that trick taking was trip-taking until, like, last year. Trip-taking would make more sense. Yeah, because you're, like, going around the table. like, yeah. And that's why I thought, oh, it's trip-taking. You're going around the table. It's your turn. Oh, it's your turn to take the trip. Here's what you do. There's a new trick-taking game design that you call Take a Trip, and everybody's card is a place in the world, and they all have values assigned, and the highest value will take the trip to that location, and then you tie in some other mechanics. Boom, you have a world-traveling card game. Verbally trademarking this right now. (laughs) Yeah, it's fine. But yes, that answers the question for this episode. I think we need to give a shout out to our Patreon backers. We do. Which is Allison, Alan, Jesse, Catherine, Cliff, and Jennifer. Thank you all so much for supporting us on Patreon. There are patrons, not our backers. I need to quit saying that. So bad. Oh, oh, hold on. I... You got real excited there. I'll continue this for a second. Thank you so much for supporting (laughs) us on our Patreon. If you would like to be like them and be awesome people that support us on Patreon and get shouted out on here or on Twitter, which reminds me, I got to do the Twitter shout outs. You can always go to patreon.com slash Malthouse Games, M-A-L-T-H-A-U-S Games. You can also find pretty much anything at all about us and the podcast and all that crap at malthousegames.com or you can find us on social media at Malthouse Games. Find me personally at Delton Brack, D-E-L-T-O-N-B-R-A-C-K. You can find Haley at S-Q-U-I-R-R-E-L-Y-G-E-K. That is at Squirrely Geek. So the thing I wanted to shout out here, and let me see if I can get it to pull up because I need to see if it's still going, but I do have a Kickstarter that I'm going to shout out because it's somebody we know. I feel like we're back in western Oklahoma because we've had the line dry our clothes this week. We have dial-up speed internet. It's just, ugh. Yeah. Okay, it is. So, uh, on Kickstarter, if you ever listened to the Tuesday Night Podcast, he had the B team, which was if Alan and Sean couldn't get together and do the podcast, they would have the bean team come in, which was Logan, Will, and Greg. And they are all fantastic people, and they all do different things all the time. 
But Logan, Mr. Logan Jenkins, has a Kickstarter going right now called I'm Sure You're All Wondering Why I've Gathered You Here. I got to playtest this uh, a couple weeks before it launched on Kickstarter. And it's essentially a role-playing game. It's going to be a small, what they call a zine, short for magazine, those little booklets, the same as Mothership and something in the uh, role-playing world. Zine short for magazine. Thank you, Grandpa Delton. Yes, well, I always called them zines because it's spelled Z-I-N-E. That's all you see is zine. And I was like, oh, it's a zine, but I've learned it's a zine because it was shortened, I guess. Whatever. Anyway, if you've played something like Fiasco where it's a role-playing, one session in a single book has all the rules you need, everyone sits down and plays, this is that. Uh, Essentially, you're all called to a mansion. You all have a character. It plays, I think, up to eight people. And basically, you have to try and kill all the other players and survive the night. And if you do, you're the winner. Um, so it's very that kind of like, I, you know, and that's a, that's the whole thing. I'm sure you've all wondered why I've gathered you here is because you're going to have to kill everybody. It's very interesting. It uses a basic deck of cards. I found it to be very fun because if you're not a huge role player, there's enough mechanics to keep you interested. And if you're not a huge board game player, you can do all the role playing you want to keep it interesting for you. So I think it rides a line. And using a standard deck of cards, you can play it very easily. But the Kickstarter is up and running for. I guess it'll be 18 more days as of this release. And if you want the PDF, it's only five bucks. If you want the printed zine plus the PDF, it's only 10 plus shipping. So yes, I wanted to shout that out because I had a good time with it and, you know, spread the joy and the fun of games. You should back, back, back it up. Yes. At kickstarter.com. But yes, I think that's going to cover everything this time. You're going to go edit this tomorrow and realize we forgot to talk about a game or something. <laughs> We're gonna, I'm going to miss something <laughs> stupid. Uh, but yeah, I'm going to edit it in the morning and then try to figure out what I can do to upload it. Like I said, I can always put it on my Google Drive, get on my phone and upload it from my phone and just hope that it works. If you can fix a dryer, you can fix a podcast. I know. I might just have to take your laptop and do it. Or it, honestly, this might be one of our few episodes, our second episode ever that isn't released at like noon to noon 15. Uh, I know. I hate it. I hate uh, it so much. I try so hard. shame. But it's one of those things you can't really get past it when you have no internet. agony. Well, that being said. Disappointment. Thank you for tuning in to the Malthouse Games podcast. Hopefully this episode has been a fun one. It feels like we haven't done an episode in like two months. It does. I don't know why it feels that way, but it feels like all these things. I feel like I'm all over the place. I'm rambling. I'm missing stuff. It's because we haven't it, left our house in 10 days. It's it's friggin' weird. So thank you for tuning in and listening and putting up with all of our bullshit. That's basically what I want to say here. <laughs> uh, yeah, follow us on social media. Give us a like, share, and subscribe. It helps us out a lot by showing people, hey, we've got stuff and you might like it too. <laughs> that's basically how I feel. And that's our new tagline. Hey, we've got stuff and you might like it too. <laughs> I'm great with taglines. Speaking of taglines, until next time, sit back, relax, grab a drink, and play some games. See you folks later. (laughs) Bye. Bye.